Well, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. There's some Bibles and sermon transcripts on the back table. And good news, the sermon transcript font is big, so you can actually read it now. So that's on the back table. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7. We have been going through the Gospels in chronological order, and so we've been in a different Gospel almost about every week. Sometimes we'll spend a couple weeks in the same Gospel. And so we were in the Gospel of Luke for a couple of weeks, and in last week... We were in Luke chapter 9, looking at verses 51 through 62, and Mark was gracious enough to share with us last week. And we looked at Jesus as he began his journey back to Jerusalem. Now we know it's here in Jerusalem that Jesus is ultimately going to face the will of the Father, and that's to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. In route, he went through the city of Samaria, and unfortunately, he was met with rejection. The Samaritans did not want Jesus there. And if you know the history of Samaria and Israel, you understand the tension between the two, Israel and Samaria. And the Samaritans did not want Jesus and his disciples there. However, Jesus had to rebuke not the Samaritans, but his own disciples, because his disciples wanted to call fire down from heaven to consume the Samaritan village and everyone in it. Their heart was set on destruction instead of salvation. And Jesus had to rebuke him for it. And Jesus shared his heart as the Savior in Luke chapter 9, verse 56, when he said, The Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. Also en route, Jesus encountered with three different people who wanted to follow him. And for each one, Jesus, he explained to them that they had to give up something in order to follow him. A cost would have to be paid to follow Jesus. Number one, sacrificing earthly pleasures. Number two, you have to prioritize him above all else, above your family, above everything in your life. And thirdly, you need to surrender to him. And so this is what we studied last week. And the question that was asked last week was, are you willing to pay the cost for following Jesus? Do you know the cost associated with following Christ? And are you willing to pay it? What's your response to Jesus? So this week, we're going to pick up what happens next again in John's gospel. So again, turn with me to John chapter seven, and we're going to start in verse one. So if you're following along, let's see what it says. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So Jesus avoided walking openly in Judea because of the Jewish people who were trying to kill him. Now, when John writes the Jews... He is referring to the ruling authorities and the religious leaders, not necessarily the entire people of Israel themselves. So whenever John records the Jews, he is referring to the religious leaders and the ruling authorities. And you have to understand at this point in time, the fame and news of Jesus spread all throughout the land, even as far as Canaan. And people were hearing about what Jesus was doing and the religious leaders were not happy. The religious leaders thought that Jesus was going against everything that Moses had commanded them, and Jesus was most certainly going against the man-made rules and customs that the religious leaders made up themselves. So when you read verse 1, it almost looks like Jesus was scared to go to Judea. Is that the case? No. Jesus was not afraid. Jesus was not fearful of man. He was not fearful of enduring the cross. He was willfully going to Jerusalem to endure the cross for us. So Jesus wasn't afraid. Jesus was simply trusting in the Father's timing. And Jesus knew exactly when to enter Jerusalem. He was acting in accordance to the will of the Father 
not acting out of fear. And there's a tremendous difference as we're going to talk about today. And we know that God's timing is perfect and His timing aligns perfectly with His will. And this is what Jesus was acting in. And perhaps you're here today and you need to be reminded of this, that God works and operates in His timing, not ours. Why? Because God knows what is best for us. God knows our days beginning to end. And God works everything to align with His perfect will. And that includes His plans and promises for us. Look at Abraham. God promised him a son, and it took many years for God to fulfill that promise. Why? Because it was all according to His timing. And this is why we're told to be patient and to wait on the Lord. And so once again, Jesus was not acting in fear. Jesus was acting in obedience to the will of the Father and His timing. And I want you to notice that Jesus did not allow fear to keep Him from doing what God called Him to do. What about you? Is fear keeping you from doing what God has called you to do? Hold that thought because we're going to come back to that. We're going to revisit that question many times today. So let's look at verses 2 through 5 and we get a little more information here. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So when we read these verses, we see Jesus' earthly brothers started to mock and ridicule Jesus. And you might be sitting there thinking, Jesus had brothers? Yes, Jesus had earthly brothers. Right? And we know according to the biblical account that Jude and James, who are actually two authors of books in the New Testament, were Jesus' earthly brothers. So it tells us that it was the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what is this Feast of Tabernacles? It's also called the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Ingathering, and the Feast of the Lord. And it takes place in the Hebrew month of Tishri, and it was instituted by God to His people to observe the deliverance from Egypt and to remember His provision for them within the wilderness. And this was a significant feast because it foreshadowed what the Savior would do for His people, right? The Savior would deliver His people from sin just as God delivered His people from Egypt. And God would also, the Savior would protect and guide His people just as God protected and guided His people in the wilderness. And so it was a very significant and important festival and feast for the Jewish peoples. And in this time, they would dwell in tents and booths and it would just be a reminder of the deliverance from Egypt and their time in the wilderness. Now, Jesus' brothers, they mocked Him by saying, if He's truly the Messiah and truly the Savior, He shouldn't keep Himself hidden. He should make it open to the whole world. Why would He act in secret? And we've looked at this for the past couple of weeks now. Jesus did not want His Lordship to be widely known because Jesus understood His mission was to go to the cross. And surely, if it was widespread news that Jesus was the Messiah, the people would surely try to make Him a king and try to keep Him from going to the cross. And this is why Jesus told His disciples, don't tell anyone what you have confessed of Me. Right? Jesus' mission was to go to the cross. So the disciples, or Jesus' brothers, were mocking Jesus, saying, if you're truly the Messiah, make yourself known. Why don't you just reveal yourself to the world? And this thought process is shared very commonly today by many people in the world, and they say the same thing. If Jesus truly is real, why doesn't He just reveal Himself to us? Even some Christians get in this mindset. Why won't Jesus reveal Himself to me? And the answer is, He has. It's right here in God's Word. 
But many times we want to add to the Word of God. Jesus, reveal yourself to me in a different way when we have the complete Word of God right here in front of us. And just like Jesus' earthly brothers, many people say today, well, if Jesus is truly Lord, why doesn't He just appear to us? Why doesn't He just come down to earth? And the answer is He did. And look what they did to Him. They crucified Him. Because the issue isn't with Jesus. The issue is with man's sinful heart. And that was the issue here with Jesus' brothers. So Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him and even went as far as mocking him. Jesus knew the cost of obedience would be rejection even by his earthly family. And maybe you're here and you've experienced that when you gave your life to Jesus. Maybe you experienced this rejection. It's very common in cultures here when you turn away from the faith of your culture and you turn to, to Jesus. Many times you face this rejection. Jesus, he was willing to accept this rejection in order to obey the Father. Jesus was willing to give up the comforts of acceptance in order to be obedient to the Father's will. Are you willing to do the same to obey Jesus? What is the price of obedience for your life today? Because God requires something of each one of us, and sometimes it's different. Sometimes it's different things we need to give up in order to obey. But at the end of the day, there is a cost to obedience. And if we're going to obey the Lord, it means we will face hardships, persecution, and trials. Jesus said in John 16, 33, He said, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Why? Because in this world you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so Jesus was willing to give up the comforts of acceptance in order to obey. Are you willing to do the same? Because many Christians are not willing to do this. Because many Christians want to be accepted by the world. But the truth is, if we're accepted by the world, we're not being obedient to the Lord. Because true obedience to Jesus means the world is not going to accept us because the world does not want to follow Jesus. There is a substantial difference between the Christian and the world. And the world doesn't want anything that has to do with the name of Jesus. But many do not want to obey because they don't want to pay the cost. Are you willing to obey? Let's look at verses 6 through 9 and let's see what Jesus replies to his brothers. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. So Jesus, once again, he waited to act and waited to go up. Why? Because he was submitted to the will of God. He was acting in his time. But I want you to notice a couple things here that Jesus said. Number one, in verse seven, Jesus said the world hates him. That hasn't changed today. The world hates Jesus. There will always be a price associated with sharing Jesus because the world hates the message of the gospel. Many Christians don't want to share Jesus because of the backlash or maybe the persecution they may face, when in reality, we need to be sharing Jesus no matter what consequence we face. And if the world hates Jesus, it's most certainly going to hate us for doing the work of Jesus. Jesus even said this to his disciples. He said, the world's going to hate you, but it hated me first. And maybe he said that to comfort the disciples after he taught them the world's going to hate him. He said, well, at least they hate me too, right? But the world is going to hate us when we try to do the work of Jesus, but it should never keep us from obeying. It didn't keep Jesus from obeying. He obeyed regardless. Now, Jesus explains to his brothers that the world doesn't hate them. Why? Because their life is not submitted to the will of God. Jesus is submitted to the will of God, and because of that, the world hates him. So you see the difference. 
You see the difference between a life that's submitted to Jesus and a life that's not submitted to Jesus. A life that's not submitted to Jesus lives whatever way they want. They do what they want to do. They talk like they want to talk. They act like they want to act. A life that's truly submitted and surrendered to the will of God, it starts to look and act like Jesus. When people look at your life, do they see you living a life, living however you want? Are you talking like the world, acting like the world, thinking like the world? Would someone be able to look at your life and say, I know without a doubt they're a Christian. I know that they belong to that Jesus. I can tell by the way that they live. I can tell by the things that they say, by the jokes they're not laughing at, by their actions that they're performing. I can tell that they belong to Jesus. Is it well known that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? It was a clear distinction. Jesus' brothers, they lived however they wanted. Why? Because they weren't submitted to God. And if we're Christians, we can't live however we want. We need to live the way that Jesus commanded us to live. And it's not easy. We all stumble. But the true mark of a Christian that obeys is, is getting up after we stumble, and it's trying to live like Jesus Christ. A life that's truly surrendered to Jesus is submitted to his will. And this is why Jesus told the disciples when they asked him, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, pray your will be done. Pray that the Father's will be done in your life, that you're always constantly walking in God's will. And this is why David prayed the same thing in Psalm 143.10. He said, teach me to do your will, O God, for your spirit is good. And if we're submitted to God's will, then we're going to live and act the way he commands us to. So Jesus' brothers go up, but he remains in Galilee for a little bit. We're not told how long, but considering the feast is only but a few days, it couldn't have been long that Jesus remained in Galilee. But one thing to note before we move on, because this is rather important, Though it says in verse 5 that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him, we do know according to Scripture that at least James and Jude, two of his brothers, do believe in him after the resurrection and even go on to pen two books of the Bible, which is pretty amazing that Jesus can change even the hardest of hearts and use it for his glory. So maybe there's a person in your life who keeps rejecting you, pushing you away when you share with them. Don't give up sharing the gospel with them because Jesus can still change their heart. As long as that person is breathing, there's hope that Christ can change them. And even for our family in Myanmar, I know that's a hard topic. Even these wicked, evil people doing these wicked things, there's even hope that Jesus can change a wicked and evil heart like that as well. Because there's no one too far gone for the grace of God. Let's look at verses 10 through 13. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So Jesus goes up to the feast, but he's going up secretly again. This is not out of fear. This is just being, Jesus is being cautious. He's acting in God's will. Once again, he can't go up there wide known, widely known, right? So he goes up in secret. Again, in verse 11, when John says the Jews sought him at the feast, it's referring to the ruling authorities and the religious leaders. They were seeking Jesus because they wanted to arrest him and charge him and try to remove him from his ministry. And it was very widespread known to the people in Judea that the religious leaders were after Jesus and that they wanted to arrest him. And so it caused people to murmur or complain. And the people were quietly debating on who Jesus was. They said, oh, you know, he's a, he's a good teacher. And others said that he deceives the people. And the NLT version writes it like this. 
Some called Jesus a fraud. This is what people thought of Jesus. And nothing has changed in people's approach to Jesus today. Many people have different opinions on who Jesus is. But we need to remember two things as we've been looking at for the past several weeks. Number one, we need to remember, regardless of what people think of Jesus, it doesn't change who Jesus is. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Truth is independent. Truth doesn't need you to believe it for it to be true. Truth always remains truth. Jesus is Lord. And one day we all will give account. It doesn't matter what people's opinion is on Jesus. Jesus remains who he is. Number two, you must choose for yourself who Jesus is to you. No one makes that decision for you. The people were debating of who Jesus was, who people thought he was, but ultimately the decision of who Jesus is to you personally is a choice you need to make. And if you haven't made that decision, you have to make this decision because your eternal standing depends on it. And so maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to God and there is no life but through Him. And so you need to choose who Jesus is to you personally. Now, notice verse 13. It says, no matter what the people thought of Jesus, no one would speak openly of Him. Why wouldn't they speak openly of Jesus? Well, John tells us, because they were fearful of the Jews. They were fearful of the religious leaders. Now, we know according to John chapter 9, verse 22, that anyone who believed in Jesus and believed that He was the Messiah, the religious leaders would excommunicate them from the synagogue. They were no longer allowed to be in the synagogue. And that's why when the man who was born blind was brought before the religious leaders, this man's parents said, you need to talk to him, not us, because they were fearful of being removed from the synagogue. And so there was a cost to pay if they talked openly about Jesus. So many people would not acknowledge him because of fear. And maybe that sounds like your heart today. You won't acknowledge Jesus for who he is because of fear in your heart. Fear of what people are going to say to you. Fear of rejection. It's a very real thing. And each one of us as Christians can experience this. Fear is a very deadly weapon of Satan. The fear of man is a very powerful weapon because it takes our eyes off Christ and it puts our eyes on the world. Just this past week, as we usually go out to outreach every Wednesday, a couple weeks ago that me and the team, we went down to CMU, and as we were playing some music out there, someone came up to us, very hostile, um, just really anti-Christ. And he, he said, you're going you're gonna to go to prison. You're going to get kicked out of the country for this. You're going to be all over the social media. You just wait. And so I'll tell you what, I woke up Wednesday morning. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to go tonight. <laughs> I don't want to go out tonight. I don't want to get kicked out. I know God's called me here. I don't want to get kicked out of this country. And I just remember God convicted my heart. It wasn't like a gentle nudge on my heart. It was a conviction. Do what I called you to do. Don't fear man. And we went out and God did an amazing work Wednesday. But if we refuse to share Jesus because we're fearful, we're never going to share Jesus. Fear will keep us from obeying the will of God in our lives. And I'm not saying we should be reckless in how we share. I understand there's our brothers and sisters in closed-off nations who can't share openly. But what I am saying is we need to be bold enough to obey God, whatever His calling may be. And sometimes His calling does come with a cost. Will we be Christians of fear or Christians of obedience? Let's look at verses 14 through 15. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? You have to love Jesus for his boldness. He goes up secretly. 
He doesn't want people to know he's going. And then he goes to not just teach. He goes to the temple right where the religious leaders would be. And he shares boldly, openly, publicly and loudly to the people. And he is teaching Jesus was being obedient to the will of the father. And he's exemplifying to us what the kind of obedience we should each have in our own hearts. Jesus didn't act in fear. He acted in obedience. So again, I asked the question, what about you? How do you live your life for Christ? Do you live in fear? Or do you live obeying what God is calling you to do? Now, this is rather amazing because Jesus, he was just so bold and he knew the religious leaders were trying to arrest him and trying to kill him. And yet he, he just went boldly anyway, right into the temple, right into the lion's den, so to speak, to share Jesus. Why? Because again, obedience. And we see this also modeled by the, by the disciples later in the book of Acts, right? You see that the disciples in Jerusalem and the religious leaders arrest Peter and John. They say, don't share this Jesus anymore. You're not allowed. If you share this Jesus, we're going to imprison you. You know what? We're going to kill you if you share this Jesus. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter said this. He said, you know, even if you know you say all these things, we ought to obey God rather than men. Peter and the apostles, they didn't care. They didn't care what the cost would be. They just knew God called them to do it, and they went to do it. Paul, the same thing. Paul was preaching Jesus in the city. They didn't like it. They stoned him. They drag him out of the city. He miraculously lives. He gets up. What does he do? He goes right back in the city. Goes to preach Jesus again. That's what obedience looks like. If God is calling us to do something, we need to do it, even if it means consequences to be paid. So Jesus is openly teaching and everyone's amazed that Jesus knows the scriptures having never studied. Now, this is amazing because Jesus is God. Jesus is one with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the one who penned all the books of the Bible. So, of course, Jesus knows his own word. This really should point to us to his deity and show us his omniscience and that he truly knows everything and that he is God. Right. They they know that he didn't study. They would know if he studied that he would have studied under these religious leaders. But Jesus, he knew his word. Jesus knows his word. And sometimes we feel like we need to remind Jesus of his word because we feel like he's forgotten. Lord, remember you promised me this. Jesus, remember you said this. And why am I walking through this? Don't you remember your word? Yes, he does. And considering he's one with God, he wrote the word of God. So, of course, he knows it. So the religious leaders weren't attacking what he was teaching. Instead, they were just attacking where he learned this from, right? They were convicting Jesus of having a deep knowledge of the Word of God. What a great thing to be accused of. And I was wondering as I was reading that, I was like, man, if someone looks at our lives, can they they accuse us of having a deep knowledge of Scripture? What an accusation to be brought against us. Man, they really know the Word of God. They really know Scriptures. How do they know this knowledge? It's not in our education. It's not in in our mental capacity. It's through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Obedience is a result of knowing the Word of God. And if we're not in the word of God, we're more than likely not to obey God. Because the more that we're in God's word, the more we start to fall in love with God and his word. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So we know that obedience comes from our love for Jesus and our love from Jesus. It comes from being in his word. Just like for you married couples, you spent time getting to know your spouse before you got married. Hopefully, right? You spent time, you talked with them, you got to know them. And the more you got to know him, the more you fell in love. And the more that we get to know God, the more we fall in love with him and the more we obey him. It starts with being in the word. It's like at verses 16 through 19. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine 
whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus is so bold in responding to the religious leaders. If you notice, Jesus is loving, he was gracious, he was kind, but Jesus was not a doormat that got stepped on. Jesus, he stood up to these religious leaders. He had boldness. Because he was confident that God sent him there. He was confident of the work he was doing. Therefore, he stood his ground when he was proclaiming the truth. And something amazing Jesus says here in the verse, in verse 17, he said, if anyone desires to do the will of God, he should know whether what is being taught is from God or from man. And that's very true for each one of us. We should be so familiar with the word of God that we know what is being shared, if it's from God or if it's from man. And we use this Christian word a lot comes from the book of Acts to be good Bereans, right? But all that means is you need to study to show yourself approved, be studying so that you know if whatever is being taught, if it's true or if it's not true, if it's of God or not. And that's what Jesus was saying. But Jesus was calling out these religious leaders for their hypocrisy. And Jesus was telling them, what I'm speaking, it comes from God himself. It comes from the Father. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 49, he said, I've not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. So everything that Jesus taught and everything that he said, it was the word of God. It came directly from God himself. What about when you go out to share? What is it that you're sharing? Are you sharing your words or are you sharing God's words? Are you going out there and are you sharing what you can do for a person instead of sharing what Jesus can do for a person? And I get it, we do that sometimes, right? Because we're scared that if we share Jesus, it's going to push people away. Again, the message of the gospel is offensive to those who are not Christian. But the very word that offends people is the very word that's going to save them. So we should be sharing it. When we go out sharing God's word. And Jesus, he said, I give all the glory to the one who sent me. Another mark of obedience is humility. If we're obeying God, we must humble ourselves and give all glory to God. Last thing, and then we'll move on from that verse. Notice Jesus said that he was sharing the words from God, from the Father. When Jesus commissioned us in Matthew 28, he said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and teach to them all that I have commanded you. Not go out and teach whatever you want. Don't go out and teach the philosophies of man. Don't go out and teach what you want to teach. Go out and teach what I've commanded you. Why? Because the words of life come from Jesus Christ. Not us. It's not our resources, our knowledge, or our education that's going to save a heart. It's the Word of God that's going to do that. The Word of God is going to have its perfect work. So in verse 19, Jesus rebukes these religious leaders. And he said, you want to kill me, but Moses gave you the law and you don't even follow it. You don't even keep it. Jesus has to remind the religious leaders as to why God gave them the law in the first place. God gave the Jews the law as a tutor to show them that they can't follow the perfect law of God. No one is good enough to earn salvation. The law was just merely showing us that we needed a savior. What a different message from what many people in this country and many people throughout the world believe. And maybe you're here and you believe this. That your works can get you to heaven, and that's not the case. And God gave the Jews the law to show them that very thing. Your way won't work. Because if you break one of God's perfect laws, you've broken them all. And if you break one of God's laws, you are guilty in all of it. And so the law was merely to show us that our goodness and righteousness is not enough to earn salvation. Because our goodness can never outweigh our bad. That's why David said, 
Your, my goodness is nothing apart from you, God. That's why Paul said, I know in me nothing good dwells. We need Jesus. Lastly, Jesus told the people that they were seeking to kill him. This was a clear disobedience to what Moses gave the Jewish people because in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22, Moses prophesied of the coming Messiah, who's Jesus. And he said that God would send a prophet referring to Jesus, and he said, you are to listen to him. And yet, here the Jews are, not listening to him, instead seeking to kill him. And so Jesus was calling them out for their hypocrisy. Let's look at verses 20 through 24. The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. This is a pretty crazy response from the people, right? They kind of go from zero to a hundred. You have a demon. Can you imagine that? These, these people, their long-awaited Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, is standing right in front of them, and they say, you have a demon. They're calling the creator of the universe, the one who formed them and created them and gave them life. They're saying he's demon-possessed. What a flawed opinion of Jesus that these people had. They had no respect for who he truly was. And again, it's important to ask the question we've been asking for weeks. What is your response to Jesus? I really pray it's not like this. <laughs> All right, but what is your response to Jesus? So Jesus replies and he said, I, I did one work and this angered you. The work or miracle that he's referring to it comes back from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, when Jesus healed the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. And Jesus told the man, take up your bed and walk and according to the Jewish religious leaders who created thousands of man-made customs and traditions that they taught as though they were the commands of God, taking up the mat was a big no-no to do on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders were indignant that Jesus would do this miracle on the Sabbath day. And we were in John 5, it feels like, ages ago, but we have covered that, right? But this is the miracle that Jesus was referring to. And so Jesus, he brings up the matter of circumcision just once again to show the religious leaders how hypocritical they are and to show them just what their religion had done to their hearts. Jesus said circumcision, right? Circumcision was a sign that God gave to his people Israel and it was a sign that they were set apart and every male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day. And guess what? Sometimes that would fall on the Sabbath and they would do it anyway. And Jesus is showing these religious leaders, this is what religion has done to your heart. You're angry at me because I had a heart and a compassion for a people. You're angry because I healed a man on the Sabbath. Jesus was doing something far greater than the religious leaders were doing. He was healing and loving people. But religion blinded the religious leaders from having this heart. And many Christians can fall in this trap. Religion's a dangerous thing. And Christianity is by no means a religion. It's a relationship that we have with God. But religion can blind hearts. And maybe you've been blinded in your ministry lately. You've been so focused on all of the things you need to do instead of focusing on what Jesus commanded you to do to love Him and love people. I know for me personally, I get convicted on this many times. Many times I don't want to find time for people. Instead, I'd rather do what I need to do to accomplish the work of ministry and I neglect the people God called me to minister to. Jesus has called us to the ministry of relationship. And the religious leaders were blind to this. 
And if that's been your heart lately, your heart's been hard towards the people God's called you to minister to, we need to repent of that. That's not of God. We need to repent and turn from that. And how can we turn from that? By being in the presence of God. Being refreshed in our walk with Him. Asking Him to restore to us the joy of our salvation. Jesus tells them, don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge with unrighteous judgment. You can't give what you don't have. What does your heart look like lately? Let's look at verses 25 through 27. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. So people from a crowd from Jerusalem were surprised seeing Jesus because everyone knew the religious leaders were trying to kill him. And here he is boldly teaching publicly. And they even thought, well, maybe the religious leaders believe in him because they want to kill him. He's right there. Why don't they just arrest him? Well, that's a great question. Why didn't they just arrest Jesus? Why didn't they just seek to kill Jesus? Because they couldn't. Why couldn't they? Because God did not will it. And the providence and sovereignty of God is something overlooked many times. We're fearful to act according to God's will when really, if God wills us to go through a hardship to obey him, he's allowed it. And if God is calling us to do something that may have consequences, but he doesn't will or allow these things to happen, nothing's going to happen. Nothing can come against our God. Nothing can stand against him in his perfect will. And so the people were confused. But Jesus, he was confident in what God called him to do. He wasn't afraid of the consequences of walking in that calling. Paul's another great example. When Paul was going to Jerusalem, people said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to be arrested. Paul said, but I know God's calling me there. And he said, even if imprisonment and death await me, I'm going. Why would he do that? Because that's what God called him to do. He was willing to obey despite the consequence. Once again, are we willing to do the same thing? Unconditional obedience is doing what we're called to do despite the consequences in doing it. So many people concluded that Jesus was not the Messiah because they claimed to know where he was from. If you see that in verse 27, they said, well, you know what? This can't be the Christ because we know where this guy is from. Right? The people were looking for reasons to not believe in Jesus. And maybe that sounds like you today. You're not a Christian. You've been searching for every reason not to commit and surrender your life to him. And it could be the reason you don't want to surrender to Jesus is because you don't want to let go of the life that you're living. Because deep down you know that if you surrender to Jesus, you're going to have to change the way that you live because that's what it means to follow Jesus. You need to change the way that you live your life. Yet many people don't want to do that. But I'll tell you this, whatever it is that you're holding on to that's been keeping you back from surrendering to Jesus. Could be a lifestyle you live. It could be a fear of rejection. Whatever it may be, it's keeping you in bondage. The very thing that you think is good for your life is keeping you in bondage and it will lead only to death. What Jesus offers is so much greater than what the world offers because Jesus offers peace, hope, joy, forgiveness, salvation, something the world could never, ever possibly give us. Let's see how Jesus replies to these people in verses 28 through 29. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. So once again, Jesus shows us just how bold he is. He's not whispering to these people. He he cries out in the temple. And you can almost read verse 28 and think, is Jesus being a little rhetorical to these people? Is he being a little sarcastic when he says, Oh, you think you know where I'm from, but actually you don't know where I'm from. Right? Because I have come from heaven, I come from God, but you don't acknowledge me as the Savior, as the Messiah, so therefore you don't know where I am from. (laughs) 
Isn't that amazing? The people thought they had it all figured out, but they didn't have Jesus figured out because they didn't truly believe in Him. And so Jesus, He calls them out. Now, something is very, very key here, I think, for us, and I don't want to overlook it. Jesus said that you both know me and you know where I'm from. I've not come of myself, but He who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Jesus is saying to these people, you don't know God because you don't know me. That's very important for many people. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. Many people say, well, I believe in God. Of course, we all believe in God, don't we? But you don't believe in God if you don't believe in Jesus. You won't surrender to God if you don't surrender to Jesus Christ. There is one way to salvation. And there's, there's this new progressive Christianity that's going forth. I'll tell you, it comes straight from the pit of hell where these people say you can believe any kind of religion and it all leads to salvation. No, there's one way to salvation through Jesus Christ. And Jesus told these people, you don't know the Father because you don't know me. The only way to know God personally is to know Jesus Christ personally as Lord and Savior. Not just to believe what many people believe, that Jesus was merely a good teacher and a good man. The Bible doesn't say that. It says you must confess him as Lord. Confess Jesus as Lord. Jesus is the only way to God. Verse 29, Jesus is confident and he shares his confidence because he knew where he came from and he knew who sent him. And this is what gave Jesus the confidence to obey the Father despite the risks because He knew who sent Him and He knew what He was called to do. And if we know what God has called us to do and we know who it is who is calling us, we shouldn't be fearful of walking in the calling that God has placed on our lives. So are you confident in who your God is? Are you confident in what He's called you to do? And that's not to say that it's always easy. We all stumble. We all fall short. We all give in to fear. right? But are we refixing our gaze upon Jesus? knowing who it is that we're serving. We're serving the Lord of lords. Are we confident in who He is? Let's look at our last two verses, verses 30 through 31. Therefore they sought to take Him, but no one laid a hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in Him and said, when the Christ comes, will He do more signs than these which this man has done? These are incredible verses, right? First and foremost, verse 30 tells us that they sought to lay hands on Jesus, but they couldn't, once again, because God didn't will it. God was more powerful than man. If God is more powerful than man, then why do we fear man over God? If God is more capable of doing anything and is greater than all of man, greater than all nations, all authorities, all principalities, all powers, why is it that we fear these things instead of placing our faith in the Lord? Nothing could happen outside of the will of God. But what's also extraordinary here in verse 31, it said many of the people ended up believing in Him. And they said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these? The fruit of Jesus' obedience was people coming to know him as Lord and Savior. Jesus obeyed the Father, and the fruit of it was many believed. When we obey God, we will see fruit from our obedience. Well, I shouldn't say that. There will be fruit from our obedience. Sometimes we don't always see the fruit of our obedience. One of my favorite missionary stories, I honestly don't know. I forget his name. I even forget the country he went to. But I know his story. He went to a nation. He stayed there for a week. He ended up getting sick and dying. He didn't even share. But the people of the country, they said, well, if this man was willing to leave his country and even get sick and die, then maybe we should believe what he came to tell us about. And they ended up believing in him. So that man, he didn't see the fruit of his obedience, but there was fruit. So sometimes we don't always see the fruit, but there is fruit when we obey God. And we see very clearly what the fruit of Jesus' obedience here was. Many believed in him. And maybe you're not seeing fruit from your life and you're not seeing fruit 
from your ministry, but it's not because you've been obeying God and you just haven't seen these things. Maybe it's because you're not obeying Him. After all, Jesus did say, you will be known by your fruit. And so maybe your ministry is dying. Maybe you just feel complacent. Maybe you just feel burnt out and you're not seeing fruit. You're getting complacent and hard-hearted and maybe it just comes from, are you obeying what God has called you to do? Are you being obedient to His calling for you? Are you obeying His commands? But Jesus set us a great example here. So I'll wrap up with this and then we'll pray and continue to worship. Jesus, once again, He's on His journey to Jerusalem. Here He's going to endure the cross for us. He goes up to this feast, but before that, He encounters His brothers in Galilee who end up mocking Him and ridiculing Him. They did not believe in Him, but Jesus, He showed us that He was willing to obey despite rejection He may face. Then He went up to the feast and He went up secretly, but then He ended up going boldly and He started to preach openly and publicly to the people because He was obeying the Lord and not walking in the fear of man. He acted in His timing and He was confident in who sent Him. And we likewise are called to do what Jesus did in obeying unconditionally by being obedient to the Father's will for us, even if it means we have to give up the comforts of acceptance, even if it means there's a price we have to pay, but we need to be obedient. And once again, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the only way to life. And in your heart, you've been longing and searching and yearning for this peace with God. And it only comes through Jesus. You will get it in no other way. The Bible makes it clear there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. And so are you obeying God today or are you fearful of man or fearful of these other things that Satan wants to blind you in? What's keeping you from obeying the Lord? Let's pray and then we'll continue our worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness, God. And Lord, just once again, we see, Lord, that Jesus is our model, Lord. Jesus shows us how to live. He shows us how we are called to conduct ourselves and how we're to minister. But Lord, we just acknowledge, God, we are we're sinners, God. We fall short. Lord, we fail. We do give in to fear, God. Lord, I don't always obey you, God. Lord, we, we fall flat on our face so many times, but you're a God who's so gracious to pick us up when we stumble. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace and your compassion, Lord. Father, I pray that we would just be obedient to your commands, Lord, that we would be obedient to serve you, Lord, to ministers you've called us to, God, that we would be the church you've called us to be. Father, that we would go out boldly, that we would walk in the calling you've placed in our lives, no matter what it may cost us, Father. Help us to obey. For we know, Lord, that that's what you desire of us. It's not sacrifice or offering, God, it's obedience. So, Father, help us to obey. Thank you for this time in your word, God. May we be doers of your word and not hearers only, Lord. May you just continue to lead and direct us, Father. And please continue to bless this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.